1: From the CU Sports Medicine and Performance Center in Boulder, Colorado. I'm George Thomas. We're here with a great panel to discuss brain injuries today. I had no idea there were so many grades and different types of brain injuries. Ann, let's start with you. If you'd each introduce yourselves, that would be great.
2: Hi, my name is Ann McNamara. I'm a physical therapist. I've been a PT for over 20 years. Um, I have a long history in working uh, with folks on balance issues and vestibular issues, which is the system in our body that's responsible for making us feel balanced and not dizzy. Um, And I um, progressed my career into getting into the sports medicine field and working with outpatient orthopedics and in sports medicine. And so when concussion um, became kind of a hot topic in, I guess, everywhere, Mm I dove in because I find it fascinating, and I find it a great blend of my resources and my knowledge of working on the on balance in the vestibular world, mm-hmm. and mixing that with working um, with the sports medicine world. So um, my focus is really on concussion and in outpatient therapy. I don't work as much um, in, or I don't work at all really in the traumatic brain injury or inpatient field.
3: Mm-hmm. Sherry. Sure. Hi, um, I'm Sherry Ballantine Talmadge. I'm a primary care sports medicine uh, doc here. Um, and for me, I've been doing concussion um, my whole career. Um, and I take care of uh, sports concussion, um, primarily um, from elementary school kids um, through all the way through division one athletes. Um, this is my, at CU here, this is my fourth um, D1 university that I've worked at. Um, and Ann and I are partners in our concussion program and, uh, as well as our, one of our, our lead athletic trainer for the Boulder County, um, and we work on a committee called BERT, which is the Brain Injury Resource Team um, here in Boulder Valley School District. And we were part of a large conglomerate of people, a multitask force, really, that helped to write and create and implement the Boulder Valley Concussion Program um, to make sure that all kids, varsity athletes or not, have coverage for concussion so that they can get back to school quicker um, and have academic adjustments put on into place for them so that they don't have to have the secondary side effects of feeling... Isolated and getting the mood stuff with depression and anxiety and everything that comes from just being apart from your peers. Um, For me, as a primary care sports medicine provider, there's no other place where I can utilize all of my skills um, to really take care of a person from head to toe, um, because concussion is such a holistic kind of experience. And so for me, it's a wonderful compilation, um, and it's a great uh, place to really highlight sports medicine and why I love the field of sports medicine so much, because I cannot get a patient better without Ann, um, and I need. It, it's a team approach, and I love mm-hmm. that. And it highlights just the. Awesome, I'm very biased, but the awesome field of sports <laughs> medicine and and how what a team it is. You know, mm-hmm. it. You know, many many athletes play on a team. Well, it takes a team to get you better too, and I love that. Mm-hmm. So,
4: Timmy, uh, my name is Timmy Duggan. I'm a former professional uh, road cyclist on the World Tour. Um, I suffered a traumatic brain injury in 2008 while racing up the Tour of Georgia. Um, probably go into more details on that later, I guess, but uh, my injury was a subarachnoid hemorrhage and subdural hematoma. Um, Apparently that's kind of a big deal. I think most people that have that are dead. So I'm incredibly, incredibly mm-hmm. lucky to be a somewhat normal person again, and mm-hmm. even luckier to have gotten my uh, elite Athletics career back. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, arguable uh, what direction it took after that injury, but um, just uh, you know, being at Craig Hospital after mm-hmm. my injury and being around other people that had you know way bigger problems than I had, you know, kind of put it into perspective mm-hmm. right away. Um, but here we are. Uh, what? Eight years later seven years later and I mean it's still very much uh, you know the repercussions are a part of my life and something I still deal with and account for Um, and things things are different and uh, for me the most um, you know the most value I got as I was um, coming back from my injury was just hearing other people's stories that have gone through Mm -hmm. it because you can be the most Brilliant neurosurgeon, and you mm-hmm. still just don't know anything about my injury. You know, mm-hmm. you don't know anything about mm-hmm. someone's in, someone's personal injury. Mm-hmm. You know, and you can't predict what it's gonna be like. You know, my uh, neurosurgeon, doctor, uh, doctor Weintraub at Craig Hospital. I mean, he's one of the most renowned in the country. and he's the man. And <laughs> I just I hated him because he was. He was kind of a, I guess, in reality, the voice of reason, but Mm -hmm. he was kind of telling me all the stuff I couldn't do, you know, so I kind of really quickly learned to kind of block him out, but he's just doing his job, I don't hold Mm -hmm. that against him, and Mm -hmm. like I said, he's a brilliant, brilliant doctor, Um, but I definitely learned that you have to just, even in your compromised state, really take things into your own hands and focus on just getting a little bit better each day, and Mm -hmm. that's... That's all you can do, but you know, like you guys said, it really takes this whole team, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. to get back to you know that level or some level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially your significant other, your family, your friends. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the most important link, and uh, mm-hmm. the doctors and therapy really are kind of the, the next in line. But it's it's a whole team that mm-hmm. gets you back
3: mm-hmm.
4: and and maintains and um. It's, it's not like a broken bone that heals in eight mm-hmm. weeks, or even a more serious in- injury mm-hmm. that heals in a year. It's mm-hmm. Nobody knows the answer. So.
1: Yeah. And that is really frustrating. I'm George Thomas, and I've actually had a brain injury back in 84 when I was getting on my motorcycle and hit by a drunk driver. I went head first through a windshield and luckily was wearing a motorcycle helmet. Um, but scarring on my brain caused uh, epileptic seizures and uh, got a lifetime of medication because of that, uh, thanks to that driver. And uh, luckily, I haven't had a seizure since 89 because of medication, but what Mm -hmm. Timmy said is so right. It was just, we have no idea how much of this you should take, or if this medication's gonna work, or how much of this medication plus this medication is gonna help you. It's such a... It's an art form. Exactly, it's It's a feeling of, they can't just give you a pill and fix a brain injury. No, right. Uh, and I just can't even describe the fear of having a second brain injury when mm-hmm. I was hit by a, mm-hmm. a deer on my bike uh, a year ago and having the left side of my face get paralyzed. Uh, we thought I'd had a stroke. Mm-hmm. Um, and then slowly that coming back, but then just the fear that seizures would start again. Mm-hmm. Absolutely every day yeah. and a year is over and, and I'm getting past that because mm-hmm. I'm feeling okay but I mean it's something you live with. Mm-hmm. Um, Katie would you like to introduce yourself?
5: Sure uh, my name is Katie Cartier. Um I'm also a fellow cyclist. Um, I'm good friends with a rider who recently had a horrible horrible crash a couple days ago. Um, And she just got out of the ICU, um, but she's also suffered a traumatic brain injury. um, And I've been with her for the last week, Um, seeing her recovery in the hospital, um, when she came out of a coma, when she got her breathing tube out, and some of her first words. So, I'm just a support system.
1: But it's good to have you here, thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Ann, Sherry, you hear TBI, concussion, Mm -hmm. brain what is a brain injury?
3: It's um it's a you're asking a loaded question. And so I'll, i know that's and, <laughs> and, and, and it's I think a really it's, long answer. It's a really long answer. And so I will give you um, my skewed uh, definition. Um, and we, Ann and I deal with this every day in the clinic, as do my sports medicine colleagues across the nation with helping to demystify and debunk the myths of primarily concussion because all you hear about in the news is all of the bad stuff. And there's a lot of blurring of lines between concussion and, and traumatic brain injury. And, you know, we have been redoing these consensus stations that are consensus statements that are truly international consensus statements that started back in 2008, 2009, where we totally redefined con- concussion in general and it and took away all grading systems um you know way back in the day when I was in med school we had multiple grading uh systems a Colorado grading scale um we had Cantu grading scale and 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 I remember thinking to myself way back when oh my gosh concussion I never want to do that like that's so confusing (laughs) it's It's ambiguous it's too complicated how do you know which grading scale you're going to use we get rid of all of that and so as we go through the revisions of the different consensus, international consensus statements, one thing that has really come about as of the most recent one, which was 2013, is the understanding and the definition of what concussion is, and then that concussion is, is a type of, of mild, traumatic brain, mild traumatic brain injury, but it's not to be linked with mild, it's not the same thing. You know, concussion exists in and of itself in its own sort of vague Uh, constellation of a symptomatic, symptom-based diagnosis where there's no test. So unlike other forms of traumatic brain injury, like has been mentioned before, subarachnoid hemorrhage, like a subdural hematoma, all these different things, contusions and and different terminology that you hear, you can see those on a brain MRI. You can see it on a CT scan. You cannot see a concussion anywhere. You can't even technically see a concussion when you talk about these baseline tests and the neuropsych testing. I mean, you can see parts of it. But really, how we describe a concussion, it's a complex series of pathophysiologic processes that happen through biomechanical forces that affect the brain. What the heck does that mean? I mean, it's extremely vague, but that's mm-hmm. what it is. I mean, concussion, once you have it, Anne always describes it extremely well to our therapy patients as it's a, a temporary state of extreme energy deficit for the brain. And we know that there's a series of biochemical, histological changes that happen and biomarkers that are elevated in the brain and in your system for months afterwards. Um, and they can be still elevated even after you, our athletes have returned to play. We don't know yet the, the significance of those elevated biomarkers. Are those the things that are the things that will make us more predisposed to have a lower threshold for a second brain injury, a second concussion? So we are learning so much every day and there's so many different types of researchers that are looking even just into concussion. I mean, in some ways, you know, some of the brain injury that we've talked about, it's almost easier because you know what to do when someone has a hemorrhage. If you don't decrease their intracranial pressure, they're going to herniate their your, their brain and, you know, there's because you can see it, you know.
1: That brings up a question for Ann. Do you mm-hmm. work with physical therapy patients that have brain injuries differently than you do with someone that has suffered an injury elsewhere.
2: Um, Yes, and I think it's because of this level of complication and Mm -hmm. how it affects so many parts of the whole person, and especially in sports medicine I see Mm -hmm. this. Um, With a concussed patient, I'm looking at their head and neck and the actual musculoskeletal injury that they have, but then I'm also looking at their vestibular system I'm looking at their visual system. I'm looking at their balance ability. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at their ability for their body and their brain to handle their return to play and their ability to exert themselves, get their heart rate up, their blood pressure up, how that affects them, um, and then helping them through the return to play progression, which gets you know fairly complicated when you're dealing with a concussed individual. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yes, it's. It, I would say my more typical. Sports medicine patient would be more of a musculoskeletal injury that I'm seeing. And with concussion, we're layering on all of these other pieces and an emotional piece. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, I think with an athlete also, we're really looking at how it affects their life so much in the concussion because um, you can't see the concussion again. You know, I, I tell my concussed patients, if you had a brace on your... If, if you'd hurt your knee and you came in with a brace and you're walking around in your world and with a brace on your knee, everyone's going to ask you about that. They're going to help you take care of it. They're going to make sure you help protect it. But when you have a concussion, you can't see that. And so um, you have to be your own advocate. And you have... No one's going to ask you about how you're feeling or trying to make sure you're comfortable or those kind of things. And so um, I think it just... The net is that it affects the whole individual, and we really do so much education with the concussed person and their, pay- and their families. Um, we have this huge involvement with the Boulder Valley School District, and so um, we have a huge involvement with the students' school, their teachers, um, just kind of their whole world. And so, yes, it's, it's such a different um,
1: game. You know, what you just said really resonated, because when I got out of the wheelchair and off the walker, And people were saying, well, you look great. You recovered. And I was like, no, I'm actually really messed
2: up. Right, right. But you look fine. um, It's almost like that's when the hard hard. work really starts.
3: Like you get through the hospital stuff and then you got to somehow get back to your normal life, whether it's concussion or whether it's the previous patients, Like when I was in residency, when I was in the unit and working with patients, you know, I mean, there's that whole acute stabilization part, which is the life saving part with worse traumatic brain injury. But for all of these, the spectrum of brain injury, whether you're concussion or not, hard work really starts when the rehab that the rehab is just incredible
1: how did you deal with that timmy what was yours i mean you're on top of the world racing one day and the next you're in the hospital Mm -hmm. do you even remember your crash any
4: no i i remember being on the starting line of the day i crashed and then i don't remember anything for the next two weeks after that um and then i remember kind of being in the hospital where I was, I remember trying to escape with no pants on to leave the hospital. I hate hospitals. Hate them. <laughs> um, so I would like try to escape the hospital and evade the nurses. <laughs> um, but then I, when I could fly, I flew back to Colorado, and then started the whole outpatient uh, therapy at Craig Hospital, and it was interesting because like. I think on the first day of therapy, I was, like, standing on a balance board, juggling while reciting every third word of the Pledge of Allegiance. Like, it was nothing. Like That, that probably wasn't the problem. But uh, it was more, like, cognitive stuff that we kind of found later, um, processing stuff, emotional stuff, that was the bigger problem. Which, you know, for better or for worse, I don't know, but, you know, thankfully I didn't really lose any of that kind of balance or you know, athletic Mm -hmm. ability or strength or, you know, how your neurons fire or whatever um that you were speaking about. Mm -hmm. Um but uh yeah, so that part was kinda easy, but the physical part is like the straightforward part. You can either either do it you can do it or you can't, you know. Mm -hmm. But the um more uh in-depth processing emotional stuff was, you know, like you said, you know, you get through the hospital stuff. That's the easy part. It's just getting from 90% to 95% Mm to 100% if you ever get to 100%. That's the really hard part. I think
3: that's people's biggest fear. uh, People's biggest fear, Mm -hmm. um, I would say, adults' biggest fear is will I ever be normal again? Kids don't think like that. They kind of do, but their parents think like that. And there's this... You know, and and that's why Anne said so much of, so much of what we do is education, because there's just so much bad stuff out in the press, and... You know, the example I, I always use in the office is like several years ago when Hillary Clinton got her concussion and I was on NBC Nightly News and it was a lead story. And I remember I was just in the kitchen making dinner or something like that. And I heard them say, whoever whatever broadcaster was, great news today. Hillary Clinton got cleared of her concussion today by a normal CT scan. And I thought, there it is. Like, there's, like, there's a great example. There's the problem. There's the problem. <laughs> lead story, NBC Nightly News. Yeah. How many millions of people watch that, you know, and... And um, but that's everyone's biggest fear. Will I will I be a changed person? Am I gonna come back to normal again? And and that's the minutia part of the ninety to hundred percent, you know, um, or even the concept of redefining who you are. You know, I mean, which actually technically in sports medicine can happen with every huge injury. I mean, sure. does a soccer player redefine themselves after their first ACL reconstruction? Sure, they do. Do they have to redefine themselves again after their second one? And then they blow the second one out. Yeah. I mean, so in athletics, we're always constantly redefining ourselves, but it's that very, it's the minutia of how do you take these life altering things that happen and we've get one brain, you know, one brain, one, one central nervous system. How do you recover from that? You know, and how do you build that support network that will help you to feel and to validate you to make you feel like you can't even achieve it? Like you can't even, maybe you won't be who you were before and that's okay. You might be a better version of yourself because you'll know more, you'll get deeper. It'll be just a really intense experience and you'll use it to benefit others. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's, it's the, it's finding that team that will support you in those really hard moments of like, you know, like once again, I'm always skewed, but like for an athlete, like when you have to look at yourself in the mirror and say like, who am I now? And that's the really, I think the really hard part.
1: Let's talk about that team and bring Katie in here. Um, We were at a convention a week ago, Sherry, and we're having a number of speakers, and we were talking about brain injury, and uh, someone asked me how I dealt with mine, and, you know, having a very close family was a huge Mm -hmm. help, and uh, the person who asked said, but I don't have anyone, Mm -hmm. and I... I mean, me, who loves to talk, was at a total loss for words. And it's like, how do you find that person? I mean, you obviously were playing a big role uh, in your part as someone who was very important to the person who got hurt.
5: Yeah, um, I've been friends with um, this girl for a while. I think this was only a week and a half ago um, when she had her accident. um, Also riding bikes, very, very similar to Timmy's injury. Um, and we're currently in the unknown. We are physically stable, as we mentioned before. Um, her brain bleed has stopped. Um, it hasn't changed physically. Her bones, she has a couple broken bones, but she's okay. Um, can move around. Um, but the cognitive is the Mm -hmm. issue right now. Um, and as a friend and someone who knew her pretty well, um, that's the scariest part for us. Mm -hmm. And both of her parents are there as well. Um, and it is extremely hard on them mm-hmm. to see that um you know we have daily goals every day um when we were there like okay today we're going to wake up for 10 minutes and we're going to nod yes and no to questions um okay maybe tomorrow we're going to have the breathing tomb out maybe we're going to be able to breathe on our own um and it's the little goals like that and mm-hmm. i don't think she's quite in the stage of being able to remember um but having that support system even for me, having other people there with me was a big deal, in um, a big part of her recovery. I think, even if she doesn't remember it right now.
1: So, how can you find someone like this, or if you don't have family, what do you do? Where can you turn? I'll
3: be I'll be jaded just because of the world that I live in as a physician, and you know, I mean, I don't, I may not do this anymore, but. You
1: Flushcare.com slash weight loss.
3: You know, we all have to go through this training, and I've been in the unit and I've been with families where, you know, I'm from Chicago, so we have a lot of wonderful, very strong ethnic families in Chicago. You know, you got your great mm-hmm. Polish families that come out, your great Italian-Americans that come out, and, and, you know, these just, you know, huge families that will just come in, and then you will run into the person that doesn't have anybody in, in, when I say the unit, I mean the intensive care unit or the surgical intensive care unit. And I think for in there's two phases of it. There's that, like we mentioned before, there's that acute, like, you're in the hospital for something really bad, whether the whether it's a bad traumatic brain injury where we're talking about bleeds and contusions, hematomas, um, or you're in the hospital for other reasons, and oh yeah, by the way, you have a concussion too, but we'll deal with that after you're outpatient. If you are initially in that first phase of being inpatient and you don't have a good support system or there's conflict even within your support system, which we see in the ICU a lot, every hospital has an ethics team and so, if there are, or and they all have religious or or um, emotional mm-hmm. um, sort of faith uh, support for you too, um, that's a time where you. Reach out to those people. Now, you hope that someone has at least one advocate for them, but I will tell you to reassure people that sometimes when it happens that we have a patient in the hospital and they don't have anybody, a lot of times it's the nurses and the people that are with the um, patients every day physical therapist, occupational going to therapist. Say? I, think
1: would, I mean, because you're spending yeah, so much time with them. They,
3: they right, reach and out. I would they say reach that out. Too,
2: like what you are talking about with the, Timmy, with the, um, That initial part, you know, Mm -hmm. when you're in the hospital, there's so much care that's being provided to that individual at that time to try to make sure that they're medically stable, you know, that the broken bones are taken care of, that the physical piece is taken care of, and even the emotional piece. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the time when it's a little less scary, maybe because Mm -hmm. you have all these eyes on Mm -hmm. this person and you have all of these team members and everybody's involved. I think the harder part, or the way I would see it, is once. Once all that medical stuff is is cleared, Mm -hmm. right? And the person is just sort of left with, Okay, now now it's rehab time and now it's you know, now it's getting back into my real life and trying to figure out what that looks like. Mm -hmm. And that I think is when the emotional support just, Mm -hmm. you know, becomes even more important than in that initial time. Would you guys agree? I don't know.
1: Where'd you get that, Timmy? I mean, you're like a tough athlete. You're one of the toughest people I know. And it's like you know, you were trying to escape from the hospital. You seemed to me like someone who is
4: like, no way, stay away. I'm going to do this on my own. I can do it. Yeah, I, my first memory actually is me um, like throwing a fit because I'd broken my collarbone and my scapula. And like, I must have, like, like my first memory was them wheeling me into the operating room, whatever, 10 days or something later. Um, what are you doing to me? Are we going to fix your collarbone? I'm like, no, I don't want surgery on my collarbone. (laughs) I don't want... And uh, then I don't remember anything for a while after that. But um, I don't know. I'm really lucky for a lot of reasons, but I'm really lucky I had that support system in my family, in my wife, uh, in my faith, just right there from basically day one of the the accident. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I mean and speculate on you know, what the process is like if you don't have that, but for me, I can only imagine it was absolutely critical. You know.
5: um, to add on that, um, my friend, she is a very, she's also a professional cyclist um, and kind of the heart of part of the cycling community here um, and the outreach and the concern and the care from just the cycling community alone has been, it's been insane. Um, it's been great Um, you know everyone has been calling and asking oh how is she how is she and you know when you're in the hood in the hospital room you don't even have time to answer all of Mm -hmm. them because there's so many Mm -hmm. um and i was fortunate enough to fly out there the next day um and have people help take care of me i always had a place to sleep um it's been insane the amount of support that has come from just the cycling community alone not even her family or friends which have been great but just other people who are concerned and share a passion in the sport have really been helpful.
1: That's great to hear.
5: Yeah.
1: It, Timmy, you and I would have been great hospital roommates. <laughs> 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 my only memories of the deer Bambi's assault was uh, two medical people in my room looking at my DNR bracelet and saying, well, he can't be do not resuscitate. And I came out of my fog and I said if you revive me, you better make sure it works or I will hunt you. (laughs) (laughs) I will never forget their faces. (laughs) (laughs) But why are brain injuries so exhausting? It's like we work so hard on overcoming the physical and it's like, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. And then, you know, we're talking about the, you don't look like you're injured,
4: but it's so tiring. That's one thing I found out really quick was just how much energy your brain uses. Like I would just mm-hmm. for months, I just slept, mm-hmm. and uh, and I would eat like like sugar oh, and yeah. starch. And I I hate that stuff. Like if it were that. up to me, I'd be on the, <laughs> the paleo diet. Um, just your brain needs all that glucose. You it's know? What it,
3: it's its primary its primary language. Yeah. Primary language is is glucose. It's mm-hmm. it's the what feeds the brain?
4: No. And, and is is that why the energy gets low? Well, and then I mean, so it's like, wow, okay, use a lot of energy. I have to sleep and I have to eat, right? But then, like, what takes that energy? Like, just being out in public for an hour yeah, at no. the grocery store would just yeah absolutely fry me and i just have to, like, people
3: underestimate that even even with like even when you think about like what ann and i do every day with like just like sports concussion i mean let alone the more severe traumatic brain injury that like my my rehab doctors um and neurosurgeons and neurologists and whatnot see people um our concussions are plain old straightforward even middle school like um soccer concussion, they really underestimate how much energy you expend. I mean, we talk, I talk so much, usually it's the second follow-up appointment, but like with kids when they come in and they thought they were going to be getting better and they come in and and they feel terrible because they went back to school and I always expect that second follow-up appointment to be a significant amount of time of just saying, think about this. Think about what it takes to just sit in a classroom as a student, whatever level you are, elementary all the way to college, and think about all the processes that are working. So you have just the environment in and of itself. You have to deal with light, the crazy fluorescent light. And your brain has to function that. You have a bunch of people all around you that somehow you're blocking out peripheral distractions from the people sitting around you. You have to use your head and neck and upper back muscles to move your head up and down to either take notes or type notes um, and, and follow a professor slash teacher using left to right rotation and, and right to left rotation. I mean, you're talking about so many integrative mm-hmm. processes just to sit there and just listen, let alone think about about what happens once you get the information into your brain and you have to somehow categorize it, process it, and put it to memory. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly exhausting. And then you add
2: on top of that any kind of physical activity, Absolutely. you know, returning to anything. You Think about it. Cyclist, I mean, you have to balance. Yep. You have the world moving past you yep. visually. Yeah. Yep. Um, you have you have to multitask in so many ways, and mm-hmm. um, and pay attention to the people around you. Pay attention mm-hmm. to what your own body is mm-hmm. doing. Um, there, and your heart rate is up. Your blood mm-hmm. pressure, all of it. Your brain has to integrate and do all of that together, and that just becomes really exhausting. Mm-hmm. I always talk to my patients about. Um, the layering of activity, because mm. I think it's an important thing to look at or a way to think about it. So it's not just one thing at a time. Mm. You have to think about there's all these layers of things going on in your brain all the time. And so um, you might be doing something that seems simple, but when you think mm-hmm. about really what's happening in your mm-hmm. brain and body, it's so not it's astronomical. simple. astronomical. And that's why it's so exhausting.
3: But we take it for granted when we're healthy.
2: Yeah.
3: We take it for granted when we're healthy, but then when it's taken away, even in the most benign way and the most mild of the spectrum of brain injury, mm-hmm. it's it becomes so profound. And, and it's it's so frustrating. it's so frustrating. I was
2: just going to use that <laughs> yeah. word. For folks, always come in and yeah. they're so frustrated because yeah. I'm feeling better and I was doing more. Mm-hmm. And then they go and do something. And, I mean, it's not to anyone's fault right. because they feel like they can. But then it's it a quick realization that... Man, they this is it. just too much. And it's such a frustrating cycle up and down, you know, yep. where you feel better and then you just feel worse. Yeah, we talk and about the roller coaster all the time.
1: time. Yeah. Yeah, Timmy, I it's still hard for me to have a conversation, you know, a year plus later because I people will say, Well, you just told me that. And so a lot of times I'll preface things with, you know, I might have said this, but uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs>
4: did you have what short-term long-term any memory issues um yeah like short-term people's names maybe that's my excuse i don't know (laughs) um yeah like i can't even now like remember yesterday and little things and like (laughs) i was just it so I, i work uh uh in the same uh real estate brokerage with my parents we're all kind of on the same uh team and I've been missing my computer charger for months. I haven't I'm like where did my computer charger go? And uh, my mom today pulls out this computer charger. Where did you find that? I think that's my second computer charger. <laughs> and she's at our house up in uh, Summit County, and she was like, "Yeah, I was up there with uh, my friend this weekend, and um, Carolyn, my friend, she sees the slope." Cord sticking out of the snowbank like next to the driveway. How's <laughs> <laughs> that? Oh, start pulling out. I think it's like an or a computer cord. Pull it out. Whole computer cord. <laughs> I must have dropped it in the ground and mm-hmm. the snow plow like piled it into the snowbank mm-hmm. where it's been since December. In the <laughs> snowbank. I mean that's so just yeah, that happens to me all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like have that. you built up
3: a better tolerance are you are you kinder to yourself now that you understand that that's going to happen
4: I still get frustrated with it you like do if there was a hashtag for brain injury I'd say frustrate frustrated yeah. mm-hmm. um but you learn ways to cope with it and then that's just the way it is like I just have to like I wrote this is my sticky note yeah. of things that I wrote down driving here because mm-hmm. if I don't like write them down, like I'll forget them.
3: Mm-hmm. But, Do you feel like because you were an athlete, like your skills and your um, set as an athlete, just especially a successful athlete, um, gave you the tools to know how to rise and and deal with this, or was it a double-edged sword?
4: Well, I had spent you know so I was twenty-four when this happened, and you know I had spent from sixteen to that point like I was very um, Aware of my mental processes, and I worked intimately with a psychologist for years. Um, Not because I had some like health issue or anything, but just you know, Mm -hmm. solely for my performance. But then, really quickly, it morphs into just life. It's not about performance, we're not talking about Mm -hmm. how to visualize winning the gold medal and stuff like that. It's just how you keep your life together, and that transfers to whatever sport you do, you know. But, anyways. You know, I had learned all these little mental processes and tools that were allowing me to kind of unlock my, you know, physical ability and, you know, really excel in sport. And that's what it is, right? It's mm-hmm. it's all in there. You just have to figure out in your brain how to unlock it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but post injury I kinda had I had to really relearn all that stuff all over mm-hmm. again. And it didn't take me eight years again, but I had to like Go through the process, make the mistake, and relearn it, like, every single one. Mm-hmm. Like, come into a situation and, and, like, hesitate. There'd be this hesitation that yeah. isn't normally there. And then, be like, oh, yeah, that's right. I remember how I, like, act or react in this situation. And mm-hmm. then, you know, slowly it took, you know, over a year before I kind of got all those skills back again. Mm-hmm. But, um... Did you ever feel daunted, like, this
3: was going to take your identity away from you? As, like as a athlete,
4: or? Um, I guess, I don't know, I, I would just never was, I wasn't like scared, For I mean, to tell the truth, I guess for me it just never really was an option that it would be taken away, like that's how mm-hmm. focused I was on that's my, awesome. you know, getting back, really my life, and the bike and racing just happened to be the tool to get there, like. Mm-hmm. Cause believe me I don't identify myself as like a bike racer and that's the only thing um, you know I have so that I think wasn't a problem but yeah like the bike and racing was that tool that allowed me to just solely focus on that mm-hmm.
3: It's just interesting because, like, I think I feel like Anne and I see this sort of, especially here in Boulder, because I mean, I feel like we're a very isolated community that, and we're an isolated state. I mean, I always, when we put this in a global perspective, I always tell people you cannot take out the fact of where you live. And in Boulder County, not only do we live in Colorado, which is consistently across the nation one of the most active, healthiest, fit states in the country, but also we live in Boulder. Boulder County in and of itself, which is a land of endurance medicine, you know, and, and we see people out all the time. And and we can't forget that because what it's very different. It's This is not normal. And what we see kind of in the office, it's really interesting here, is we sort of have, not to polarize things too much, but there really are somewhat two types of patients. And this applies to all different kinds of injuries. I see patients that do what you said, which is they take their um, sort of... Um, Hardwiring, maybe as an athlete, and they don't take no for an answer. Everything is yes, and they listen to everything Ann and I say. Mm-hmm. And if anything, we have to pull them back and say, if Ann has told you to do these pencil push ups twice a day and do 20 of them, don't do 50. Like, um, and and I'm, I'm being serious. I mean, like we see like people, our athletes and our patients will follow our instructions to the dime and ask us for more, Mm -hmm. but then, and they do great and they're wonderful. And you almost wish you could somewhat package that for people because then we also see the other side of the coin too. And there are some people that injuries, whether it's their back herniation or if it's a concussion or whatever it is, it will completely derail them. Mm -hmm. And the process of getting better becomes overwhelming, and they cannot surmount it, and then they get beaten by it. And then Ann and I spend a lot of time rebuilding them in a different way um their confidence is lost and it really it's it's it it, it we talked about this a lot at the hook coalition too about you know just where is your identity where is it where you know who do you define yourself to be and um it's it's something that we really need to talk about more because um, it's wonderful when you can have the attitude and the approach like you have had and we've had the pleasure of working with many athletes that are like that but what happens to the person that can't and, and the process overwhelms it for them because it, it happens. Mm-hmm. It happens.
1: So basically what we've learned is that brain injury as a topic is a little too big for a 30-minute podcast. Mm-hmm. Would we be in agreement? Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. So let's kind of look at breaking this up in the future and really focus on, gather again, focus on concussion. Um, concussion, TBI, what, what exactly... What's the difference? I mean, we hear so much about concussion. Mm-hmm. Is that really common? Mm-hmm. I mean, how common is it?
2: Concussion's very common. <laughs> I mean, I would say that most people that you talk to have either had their own concussion, they know someone who's been concussed, um, they have a child or a family member that's been concussed. I think it's it's out there. It's, and it's changing, it's mm-hmm. becoming much more of a focus. Mm-hmm. The treatment um, and diagnosis is changing all the time and so it's it's huge. It's mm-hmm. out there. It's um, there it affects almost everybody.
1: Well I mean, you ask Timmy, he's a bike racer, ski racer and according to Timmy he's never had a concussion. Are there a lot of people like Timmy yes. out there that yes. haven't been Yes.
3: Yeah. I mean that's why that's why the NFL stuff is so um, pressworthy, right because you know jim mcmahon will come out and say you know this is how they used to do things they say just get back out there and all this kind of stuff and and it comes across very jaded um but it's true but it's a culture change i mean it's a, it's a change because we know more and it's just like anything in in research and in medicine it's always changing it's always evolving and i mean there's a huge it's a paradigm shift is what it is i mean it's a huge paradigm shift where i mean is that a good the. thing I don't know. Well, I mean, you would think so. We we think so because of the fact that obviously we're treating things differently, but you know, it's such an evolving science right now as to the long-term consequences. I mean, we're the even the identification of how we recognize and diagnose just concussion and the topic of even subconcussive blows. I mean, we know what G, we can take in the lab and simulate how much G-force it causes to create you know, the amount of impact to create a concussion, but then like the, the studies that are being done with helmets and putting like accelerometers in the helmets to look at like this number of subconcussive blows that someone gets in a football practice. And we don't, you know, all these things are things where our surveillance has gone up. And so are we seeing more concussions now just because we have a higher level and index of suspicion for it? And we know how to diagnose it. I mean, it's, it's been there. I mean, it's, you can argue the same thing, I mean, it's a different topic, but about intraarticular hip labral stuff, all this stuff has been there in front of our eyes. We're just better at recognizing it more. We know there's more serious consequences potentially associated with it. And so it's always been there. Um, how many so of us we have we heard fall- about
1: the, I had a ding and yeah. I'm going back right. out there. I right. mean, Timmy's sitting here right. who had a brain bleed and wanted to get out and race again. Right.
3: <laughs> right.
1: And you did, and you became national champion.
4: (laughs) And, you know, you have your doctors telling you that you really shouldn't race again because if you Mm -hmm. crash again, I don't know what's going to happen. And that's Mm -hmm. totally true, I guess. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, there's just never the answer that, well, it would be nice if they could give you an answer even if it was one that you didn't want. But, like, it's just always so vague, and Mm -hmm. you just... Yeah, it's hard. it just gotta figure it out for yourself, you know? Katie, I
1: was reluctant to even bring you in for this discussion because the brain injury with your friend is so present. Has this made you feel any, given you any education or how do you feel?
5: Uh, I'm scared to race again, to oh. be honest. Um, uh, her injury happened in a race in the final stretch and she was going probably about 35 miles an hour. A very, very similar to Timmy's injury. Um, It just makes me scared, and I don't. We don't even know what her recovery is looking like right now. Um, If she's going to be allowed to ride again, Um, but she, like Timmy, she already got up and wanted out of bed. One of the first things she says, "We are asking her, where do you want to go?" She goes, "I know where to go." (laughs) It was out the door. So it's looking like she's going to want to ride again. Who knows?
1: <laughs> I can't think of a better conclusion than let's go out the door. <laughs> Thank you all for joining us for this discussion. I look forward to our next. From the CU Sports Medicine and Performance Center in Boulder, Colorado, I'm George Thomas.
5: How old's up?